Thanks, Shane. Thank you very much. It's the Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Jim. Good afternoon on this Thursday afternoon. How are you? 51551 Ray at RTE.ie. Negative antigen test, sir. Reporting for Judy. How long will that continue? It's, 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 isn't it mad how quickly you get used to shoving a yoke up your nose? Both nostrils, once a day. And waiting for the little line to appear, hoping that it's not two and it's just one. Um, happy birthday to Lee Anchor. He was in the news there. Uh, he posted a picture of himself and his partner, Matt. Uh, their birthdays are one day apart. So joint birthday celebrations, he said, after a busy day, ours are one day after another. Joint age, 78. I'll let you guess how to divide it. Well, we, we know because we did a bit of research. The Tornishta celebrated his 43rd birthday on Tuesday and his partner, Matt, celebrated his 35th on Wednesday, his 35th birthday party. And there's a lovely picture of the two lads sitting down to a bit of cake. And, and if, you, if you zoom in, we figured it out because uh, we are confectionery experts, particularly retro confectionery. Uh, it is uh, a Battenberg cake. Um, Remember, we used to have that on really special occasions in our house back in the day. Uh, it's a light sponge cake with different coloured sections, squares, you know. So you've the square and then it's divided into four squares and there's a yellow and there's a pink and then the jam separates them. That's, they're the lines between the smaller squares. And then it's covered in marzipan. Um, the first cake, Battenberg cake, was baked in 1884 to celebrate Prince Louis of Battenberg marrying Princess Victoria. Uh, Queen Victoria's granddaughter um, and Prince Philip's grandmother. Why didn't have Why didn't they have a Victoria sponge? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but they, they're both of them are in the same sort. For me, you know, Battenberg, Victoria sponge, Blackfurst Gatto. They're all sort of retro cakes. Um, I don't know what your favourite is. I, I'd I'd always go for the the Blackfurst Gatto if if I see it on the dessert menu in a cafe or a restaurant. You don't see many Battenberg. On the menu, do you? You would get the odd Victoria sponge. Anyway, happy birthday to Matt and to Leo. And I hope you enjoyed your Battenberg. Uh, I, I suppose the great thing about a Battenberg, if there's only the two of you, it's it's small enough, so there isn't a lot of waste there. You'd probably get three days out of a Battenberg, you know, if you're having two slices of an evening with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Uh, still on confectionery, uh, Jesse on Twitter says, why is asking for a pan of chocolate so embarrassing? You <laughs> see? We, yeah, well, because we're Irish, you know, and you go up and there's, you don't know who's behind the counter and you want one of those things. You want one of those things with the chocolate with your coffee in the morning uh, and you don't, do you want to, do you say a pain of chocolate or do you go, do you go full on a low, a low and go pan au chocolat? And you have to move your head as well up to one side. Pan au chocolat. Can I have a pan au chocolat, s'il vous plaît? And then do you, do you pronounce it correctly? And, you know, do you, do you go outside and go to your phone and get that man? You know, the man who helps you with pronunciations on YouTube. Yeah. This phrase literally translates into chocolate bread. That's what it means ah. in French. How do you go about pronouncing it? Pain, which means bread. Thank you. Or chocolat. Ah. Chocolat being French for chocolate. Thank of you. Of course, pain au chocolat. Pain au chocolat. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> pain au chocolat. Pain au chocolat. Yeah, actually, I'll just have a croissant. Actually, better still, a scone. Or is it a scone? He's gone. Uh, on words, they were talking about, they were talking about Bothy. Now, where it came from, I don't know. But you know these things come into your head. Uh, and and th- that question was asked. Does anybody know what a Bothy is? And I go, Bothy band. Yeah, but do you know what a Bothy is? And I said, I don't. Well, I'll tell you. 
says the same Neil with his pan of chocolate because he gets embarrassed as well about asking for it. A bothy is a rudimentary weatherproof shelter, often an abandoned dwelling that has been patched up and left unlocked as a refuge for travellers and those working the land. Uh, most often associated with the Scottish Highlands, bothies can also be found in Ireland. So there you go. Now you know what a bothy is. So then I asked, does anybody know what op-ed means? You know, an op-ed in a newspaper. And everyone says, it's, it's an opinion by the editor, they said. And I said, no, it's not. Because I was reading a piece yesterday by John McManus from The Times who was telling you how to get an op-ed into the Irish Times. Don't know why I was reading it, but I was. An op-ed is opposite the editorial. That's what opposite mean, op-ed means. So the, you have the editorial on the, on the right-hand side there uh, and then you have the op-eds on the, the page opposite that. That's the way it happens on most days. That's why it's called an op-ed. So there. Um, there's loads of stuff going on on Twitter all the time and, and some days it catches our attention, other days it doesn't. Today is one of those days where there's a lot that's catching our attention. The Magic Porridge Pot. Now, I was completely unaware that this ever existed. It's one of those ladybird books and uh, literary agent Philip Patterson has tweeted a picture of the ladybird book classic The Magic Porridge Pot and said it remains the most frightening book he has ever read. <laughs> it's the tale of a magic porridge pot that floods a town with porridge because they can't remember the right words to stop the pot-making porridge. I'd say there's a lot of alliteration in it. Um, and in the latest Ladybird version, the magic words are stop little pot, stop. It's still on the go. And, and poor Philip is, has been traumatised by it. Um, it reminds me of that. Remember, did you do that story uh, for your leaving, sir? Letta Dunica Feg. It was, I, I looked it up there. It was by a writer called Podrigo Sukru. Uh, and it's about a story, it's a story of a family, a, a farming family, and they were working on the land, and then when they came over an evening, because they were so poor, they'd have a bowl of porridge, and it would be a savoury. So, the, the, you know, one evening anyway, I think this is how it went, they arrived back, and nobody put salt in the porridge, so they said, ah, that tastes terrible, there's no salt in it. Of course, the next day, everybody was going to make sure that they'd put salt into the porridge. Uh, and as they went to the pot, nobody else was there. So nobody was there to tell them that they had put the salt in the porridge already. So at the end of it all, there was too much salt and it was inedible. And, and that was the story. Uh, let the Donica Feg, I don't know if it's still on the leaving cert or not. Uh, you know, the giggle thing, we, we, we sort of parked it there for a while. But, but this will make you smile. Uh, it's on Twitter. It's a man cycling in Kerry wearing a wheelbarrow on his back. I kid you not. And I know where it is exactly because that's, that's the, the, the aquadome there. I can see the aquadome. Do you know that, that ring road that goes around Tralee and the aquadome is there and there's the man and, and he, has, he has a wheelbarrow strapped to his back. That's brilliant. Uh, and there's, there's, there's something lovely about that because there's the wheels on the, on the, the bike and then the wheel in the wheelbarrow and then the man in the middle. It's brilliant. And he looks perfectly balanced. Um, Colleen Bjug is the one who tweeted that, so thanks for that. Uh, and finally, I'll leave you with this um, on things we spotted. Uh, Sam White is an American journalist with GQ magazine, and he's on Twitter, and he said, he found out yesterday that my dad has me in his phone as Sam White. Full name, his own son, question mark. Uh, and that got us chatting as well. So, like, I would say my daughter, Kate, Kate Daughter, um, and then Neil, who's getting his third mention of the day, he's in his dad's phone, Neil Doherty, full name. Um, and then this is a bit embarrassing. I may have told you before, but but and Jenny put it in herself, but she is in my phone as the love of my life. And, and I have some system or I haven't switched it off or whatever. You know, Siri comes on and if the phone rings in the car, uh, 
Siri says the name of the caller. You know, so it could be Kate daughter or else it could be the love of my life. And then I was doing a work trip one day and there was somebody in the car. This is before COVID when you could have people in the car. Uh, and Jenny rings and next it's the love of my life. Uh, and they all thought it was hilariously funny. Quite embarrassing. Uh, you can't beat a Madeira cake. Ah, the Madeira cake, yes. Uh, the best cakes uh, made by Kyle Moore Bakery in Finglas. Their Black Forest Gatto was the best. That's from Bernard Gormley. And in Cork, Battenberg was a triangular log with striped plain and chocolate sponge covered in chocolate made by Thompson's Bakery. Now, that's Lucy, now in Dublin, formerly Cork. This always happens. We, we did the, the, what was the name of that one? The, you know, the, the, the dried fruit cake. We've done that before and it's called different things in different parts of the country. But I would imagine a Battenberg is a Battenberg because of its origins back in 1884 and the king and the queen and all that sort of thing. So I, I can't imagine Cork can just roll in and go, ah, oh, no, the Battenberg's a triangular log with striped plain and chocolate sponge. No, it's not. It's a square thing with pink and uh, yellow sponge and jam in the middle and then marzipan around the outside. That's what it is. There are chances down there. 51551 radrt.e. I'll tell you about our quiz after this. There you go. We were talking about uh, great Irish rock songs yesterday and we teased you with the intro to that. There it is in its entirety. The stunning and brewing up a storm on RT Radio 1. 51551 or ray at rt.e. Thank you so much for mentioning Letta Dunnock a Fag. Would it be Dunnock a Peg or Dunnock a Fag? Uh, I've spoken to people about that story and they look at me like I'm pure mad. Uh, I knew it was a story about too much salt in the porridge. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think someone in the story ended up dead. Gronya, I don't know. Uh, I actually don't know if they did. I'll have to go and look it up. There were flashcards to study it, so it must have been still on the curriculum up until quite recently. And then I'd read down through it and then, of course, you hit a paywall or something. Uh, uh, Come on, bye. Uh, You disagree with a Cork woman. Brave man. She's right. Do as they say in Cork. Regards, Colin. Um, uh, I'm now in Clare, but Cork-born. I remember the triangle Battenbergs. We used to call them house cakes because they resemble the roof of a house. So there, says Marion. And uh, Eamon's been on from Limerick. How about Lenillen Farm Summerberries Cheesecake? Lovely, says Eamon. And um, just a little hint to help you with your pronunciation in French. Best rule is just forget the last letter in almost all words and pronounce as thus, pain au chocolat, et voilà. Best regards, Dupuis, Paris. Don't pronounce the S in Paris. Ronald, or should I say, Rona, Rona. Um... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of the Battenberg and Cork. Um, somebody might clarify that for us. 51551 or Important issues. Now, Reel in the Ears. Bits of songs, news reports, TV shows and movies. We're looking for two of you to come on after four o'clock and answer three questions each on clips you will hear in your ears. It's Reeling in the Ears. And there is a prize. And it's a cracker of a prize. Uh, a stay in the Farnham Estate in Cavan. Uh, you and your guests can enjoy a two-night stay in a stylish guest room with breakfast the following morning and dinner for two in Maxwell's restaurant at Farnham Estate. It's located in the heart of a magnificent estate of 1,300 acres of mature woodlands and lakes, all for you to explore. It's an hour and a half in Dublin. It has a spa, golf resort, loads of things to do. Uh, and you can find out more farnhamestate.ie. So, uh, if you want to win that, getaway in Farnham Estate. You have to answer a qualifying question first, then you have to come on at 4 o'clock and be the winner. Here's your qualifying question. Can you name the show that is shown on Sundays on RT at 
Is it Dancing with the Stars or Cooking with the Stars? So the show that's shown on RT on Sundays at 6.30, Dancing with the Stars or Cooking with the Stars, 0818 715925. 0818 715925. Yes. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Email Ray at RTE.ie. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Oh God, he's right. Cork has its own Battenberg. Uh, Thompson delivered to the dubs. It was the nicest cake in a rectangular box, just like a Toblerone. Queen Victoria had great connections with Cork, says Anne Doyle in Wicklow Town. And I think our mother used to call that little square cake Russian log. Uh, that was in the 50s. Um, it's all we ever got for birthdays, says Maureen from Moe Hill. Uh, still in the 50s, that's when the great Blasket Island uh, lost its last permanent resident. And it's been uh, sort of unoccupied since then. But since 2019, um, there are caretakers selected to look after the tourist cottages on the island. You know the Great Blasket Island. It's out there at the end of the Dingle Peninsula, about three miles off the coast. And of course, its most famous inhabitant was Peg Sayers. Um, we've spoken to the minders of the island over the last few years and there will be two new minders arriving in April, in a few months' time. And they are Claire the Hass and Brock Montgomery. Great names and they're on the line. Hello, Claire. Hello, good to meet you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, Brock, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you. Great, that's a great name, Brock. Oh, thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so ye are a couple, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, and ye are going to be travelling to the Great Blasket Island in April for the summer, to mind it. Um, Claire, how much do you know about the Great Blasket Island? Um, well, I know that um, it is actually, there are a few uh, cottages on the island right now. And um, yeah, they are running it since two years Yeah. Um, again. Um, and yeah, actually the whole history of the island, I still need to do my research on it. I also need to uh, still learn my Irish language. But uh, yeah, I'm actually really much looking forward to, uh, yeah, you, to learning all of this. Where are you from originally, Claire? I'm from the Netherlands. I have a really Dutch accent. <laughs> yes, and where are you from, Brock? I'm from Canada, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I, I, I suppose the, the, the Blaskets is close to you in a way, in that it's you know one of the most westerly points in Ireland and thus Europe. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm always joking that that's the closest I'll be able to get to Canada without without leaving Europe. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about G2. Um, is this something you've done before? No, this isn't anything that we've done before. But uh, I mean, we live a pretty simple lifestyle. We, we met when I was playing uh, hockey over in Europe. Uh, we we met in the Netherlands, and we've been traveling for the last four years. Kind of every chance we get, we always like we're always searching for the next kind of adventure. We we were traveling around Canada. Uh, for a couple of years in our camper van and and uh, working at some wineries, and then we went over to Indonesia for a for a year, and we we're volunteering at a school there, and just kind of we're always looking for different different opportunities, and then yeah, Claire was able to find this one. <laughs> it sounds like a wonderful life you're leading, if that's what you want to do. Claire, what ages are you? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, I'm 27, and Brock is 29. Right. Okay. Now, now, you you sound the, what you've done in the past sounds like the temperatures were nice and temperate, if not warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was quite nice. Yes, um, yeah, Bali, yeah, yeah. especially. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the Great Blasket Island. Well, you could say it's exposed <laughs> uh, to the elements. 
Yes. Yeah, mm. we expect. Um, yeah, we expect rain, and yeah. uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, it will uh, be a sunny summer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's Alice Hayes and Billy O'Connor, and, and they're the people who've employed you. Uh, and they didn't even advertise the job this year because they had so many people on their books from the previous years. Over, I think over the last uh, number of years, 100,000 people have applied for the job that you're about to start. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. To yeah. think about. And I mean, we applied back in 2019 or 2020, I guess it was, or whenever the, the first kind of big uh, promotion they had was. And yeah, we're just on a little island in uh, Malaysia and we're... We were super, super excited when we had heard back from them. And then, yeah, once yeah. once they messaged us this year saying that uh, they were interested to have us back, uh, we were we were stoked. We were pretty excited. Just it was yeah, just such a cool opportunity. Yeah, and why do you think you were selected, Brock? Um, I'm not sure. I think we we really put our best foot forward and tried to reach out uh, as best as we could. We sent a video in into them kind of so they could get to know who we were and mm. uh, we were pretty adamant that we, <laughs> we wanted to be a, be a part of it and yeah, I'm not sure. They must have just uh, felt our energy and felt that we uh, would be a good fit, I suppose. Now, it's pretty pretty rudimentary out there. Beautiful. It's 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 like, you know, people would, would claim that it's one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. It's just, it is, there's something very special about it. But but it is rudimentary. I, like, I don't, that, is there electricity on the island? Um, they have a little bit of uh, electricity. It used to be just a windmill, but I think they might have a little bit of solar panels uh, right. there okay. now. Yeah, yeah. And when, when we applied, the nice part it was is- just, sorry, go ahead, Claire. Oh no! I wanted to say the nice part is is that we're gonna have hot showers too. Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so when we applied, when we applied, it was just cold showers, like right. no, okay. no hot water or anything. But now they have, uh, I guess, a little bit of uh, a little heater for, for us to shower in, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, and the brilliant thing about it, I suppose, is that, like the people you have to make an effort to get there. Um, uh, so the people who you will meet during the summer. They, they really want to be there. It, they're not just passing by. It's not like they just pull in and in, into a, a, a car park to see it. They have to make an effort, which is great. Uh, and what about if, if you're, you know, if you're uh, sort of stranded out there and the, the weather turns bad and the, they can't get out to you? Yeah. I think uh, that'll be interesting. (laughs) It'll be pretty cool, like pretty pretty isolated feeling, which is nice. Just uh, diving a lot deeper into uh, my meditation practice, so (laughs) we'll have a lot of time to to work work on that. You will, uh, you will, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But they they had mentioned we had spoken with them, and they had said if if they see bad weather coming, then they bring out supplies uh, for a few days and whatnot. Well, Well, listen, the main reason we've had John today is to wish you good luck, and the second reason is that we want an invitation to visit the Great Blasket Island during the summer because we've been, like most of the world, we've been restricted in our movements for the last two years. We get a sense that, that those restrictions are going to be lifted and we'd be able to get out there and uh, broadcast from various places this summer. So um, thank you very much for inviting us. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, hey, yes. That's open invite. <laughs> open invite, okay. Always welcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what we can do, but, but it, 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 there'll be a technical challenge there as well if there's, if there's limited uh, electricity, but we'll see what we can do. We can bring our own generator or something like that. Uh, so, so, listen, great talking to you. Where are you at the moment, Claire? We are currently in Portugal. 
What's the weather like? Spending the winter over here. It's um, sunny and 17 degrees. Nice, nice. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. we, we, we hope to see you during the summer and good luck with your new job, Minding the Great Blasket Island. And by the time we see you, you'll know uh, the, the life story of Peg Sayers intimately. Uh, thanks, Brock. Thanks, Claire. Yeah. Gurmag, Thank you Slán, slán. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Text 51551. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Now, um, they were talking about OxyContin again on Liveline today and the TV series Dope Sick, um, uh, which you'll know by now or maybe you won't. It tells the story of America's opioid crisis. Uh, It focuses on the impact of the drug OxyContin. And it's a topic that you've heard not just today, but over the last couple of weeks on Liveline. Today on the show, we want to talk about addiction and we will include a discussion on OxyContin and attempt to understand what's happening in the human brain and the body when addiction kicks in. Um, And uh, to sort of guide us through it, uh, we have Professor Colin O'Gara in studio. Uh, Colin is a consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St. John of God Hospital in Dublin, and he's also a clinical professor of psychiatry at UCD. Good to see you again, Colin. Good to see you, Ray. Um, Now... uh, for people who haven't seen that, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, it's the, uh, because I'm not assuming that everyone has seen Dope Sick because it's on Disney Plus and not everybody would have that. Uh, so it's based on a book by Beth Macy um, and uh, it, it focuses on, as I said, America's struggle with opioid addiction, uh, specifically OxyContin, which is prescribed for pain. Um, it was launched in 1996 by Purdue Pharma and uh, Purdue Pharma was run by the billionaire Sackler family. And in 2020, Purdue Pharma pleaded guilty to criminal charges over the handling of its addictive prescription painkiller, OxyContin. And the criminal violations included conspiring to defraud US officials and paying money to help keep opioid prescriptions flowing. So there you go. So, so firstly, opioid versus opiate. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that gets up your, yeah. your nose. Well, no, 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 I wouldn't say it gets up my nose. Um, it, it, you know, I think it's really important to make that differentiation, though. Because an, an opioid is, and they're used interchangeably the whole time. Um, and you, know, you are talking about two different things. And it's, it's, so it's really important to, to, you know, synthetic drugs or pills or opioids. The natural form of the plant, the poppy plant, you know, leads to heroin is an opiate. Right. So those of us working in clinical services make that differentiation because you may have somebody comes in to see you that has been taking opioids. In other words, so if we're sitting in a team uh, with, with, with all the different, uh, you know, uh, multidisciplinary um, people sitting around and we're talking about opioids, we're talking about pills, generally speaking, and there's many different types of pills. Um, the biggest one, which, 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 you know, we'll have to probably talk about is codeine, which is over-the-counter stuff. And that's an opioid. Um, that is an opioid. And that's one of the so-called weaker opioids. But then on the other hand, if we're sitting around as a team and a, and a patient comes in to see us and they, and they are taking opiates, that means that they've been taking heroin. And that distinction right from the outset is really important because you see them used interchangeably and sometimes used wrong, wrongly. Okay, so we've we've put that, we've clarified that. Um, So let's talk about um, uh, Salpidine then. Um, So there were legislation brought in around 2012 which limited the amount of Salpidine that could be sold over the counter. Well, you've named one brand sorry, there. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> well, you, coding, you, coding. You, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so, so coding, again, is, is the headline underneath opioid. Yes. And, and, you know, coding, 50% of people in their lifetime will take 
one of these drugs for the treatment of pain. They're obviously readily available and up, on, up, on, up until 2012, they were available around the shops. But from 2012 onwards, they went behind the counter and you have to ask for them. So what we have is we have individuals who are addicted to these drugs are, and are going to various shops, to various pharmacies. And where, is it, where it is at the moment is pharmacists will do their best to try and identify people who are, you know, who are potentially addicted and try to intervene. But it's quite a, it's a difficult uh, situation because... And they shouldn't um, have to do that. Either. Well, exactly. I mean, if, if, if you know, I, I guess they, they will want to help, help somebody in that situation. But ideally, you know, it can be a very fraught situation for people going into pharmacies and looking for, for drugs in that way. Ideally, we would have, I mean, there's, there are fantastic treatment services, I can say, and often I'm talking about... You know, if I do interviews about addiction, I'm saying the lack of services, the good news for opioids and opiates is there are very good services in Dublin. So really it's about um, having clear pathways from pharmacies for people who go in to get them to treatment. And, And that's probably the area that needs to be worked on. You know, if you look Can at... Can I just ask you yeah. about uh, codeine then and the introduction of the restrictions in 2012. Has that changed the number of people, reduced the number of people presenting with codeine addiction to you in your offices? OK, well, you've asked specifically about me and my, you know, pr- presenting yeah. to our services uh, without a shadow of a doubt, right. I would say. Pre-2012, we had men and women presenting, taking 72 t- uh, tablets per day. And I'm not naming, I'm careful not to yes. name the actual tablet here because I don't think we need to. But there's over the, let's say over the counter codeine pills, 72, which is three uh, packs of 24 Okay, and that would be taken in maybe 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 throughout the day and then 20 at night. Or it could be 30 in one go, 30 in one go, and then several more afterwards. Um, Codeine is typically called a weak opioid, but it's not weak when it's taken in that that amount. Now, the, the thing about treatment is there are other opioids that are recognised by international bodies, such as National Treatment Agency for Substance Misuse in the UK or the FDA in the USA, that are excellent treatments for codeine addiction. Um, but it's getting people to those treatments is the key and it's stigma that stops people getting okay. that treatment. Let's go right back to the beginning then. So uh, an opioid or an opiate, how does it affect a human brain? Like, why do people become addicted? OK, so in the first instance, you have, you know, the stronger the opioid, the more dramatic the effect is. So, you know, the, the focus in dope sick is on OxyContin, but there are other pills that are stronger than OxyContin. If you go, you can go right up the rank into fentanyl, carfentanyl, which is like five, can be up to 500 times stronger than heroin. What happens is the dopamine system in particular and other euphoriant endogenous chemicals that are inside in our body are hijacked. So the drug hits these receptors and hikes it into orbit. So you feel absolutely euphoric. Now, that's what, say, if you inject heroin... So is it mirroring what some of our own natural things do and and, and sort of putting it on into hyperspace? Is that that what it's doing? absolutely. So we would do this naturally, say, if we go for a run and we get a dopamine hit or whatever. But these drugs do that by a hundred or a thousand. Correct. Okay. Now, 
the question then arises as to, you know, how come everybody doesn't get addicted, you know? So a certain percentage of people who have genetic predisposition or they may have had trauma or they may have a pain in their life. or they, So these are all predisposing conditions of pain, be physical or it can be mental. But that leads them then to be more predisposed than others. What we call... Why? The, well, be, well, you've got to look at it from... Well, the why is because, you know, they are predisposed in a biologically, in a, in a biological way. So if we use the, and there's various theories on this. So if, if we look at dopamine, for instance, one of the whys, or one of the answers to the whys, is that, you, that the people who are vulnerable, their dopamine system is set at a, a different level to the rest of the population. So if, so it's called the hypodopaminergic state or the hypodopaminergic theory. So in individuals who are vulnerable like that, their dopamine systems are regulated, they're tuned at a different level so that when you put in the drug, you're bringing it up to the level of the rest of the population and then they feel normal to a certain extent. So that's the self-medication theory. Okay, so that's one of the, the, the theories, wise, yeah. one of the whys. Yeah. Another why is that people have psychological pain, trauma, and the drug. Often people will tell me, I feel it was the answer. I felt comfortable. It stopped the racing in my head. It stopped the suicidal thoughts. So, you know, that's the mental health explanation. So is that, because, I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I, you know, I said, oh, that's, that's why people say I'm getting out of my head, because they literally are when they take drugs, getting out of their head, which isn't a nice place to be. Yeah, 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 I mean... It, you know, is that where that phrase came from? Do you think? Getting no, out of your I, head? no. I think that's that's when people are literally out of their heads. I think that that relates to a description of people being intoxicated. Right. So uh, yeah. But what's again, the difference? <laughs> no, because these are these. It's yeah. important to tease this out. You know, I, I I think the when people take drugs and feel normal, and I remember now these drugs are often used for physical pain. Yes. So we're talking Initially. about psychological. Initially. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so people who become addicted, there may be background psychological issues, but it can also be physical pain. Mm. A lot of the opioid crisis was initially driven by physical pain. And part of the, say, the National Institute for Health in the U.S., part of the response to the opioid crisis in the US is to look into better treatments for pain management. Well, if people watch Dope they'll know that Purdue Pharma targeted places where there was a big mining industry, people where the, places where there was a lot of menial work, where there would be a lot of back pain, etc. And yeah. they, they specifically went after those communities. Yeah. Um, and that's why it was particularly uh, horrible to watch because these, they were preying on, on people. And these are poor communities in a lot of pain and, and they knew what, exactly what they were doing. Yeah, but it was also marketed at the time as non-addictive. Yes. And, you know, it's hard to know how many people within that system knew that truly that it was non-addictive. You know, so many people in that whole cycle were told and they went and, you know, went, went on the base that it was. And you see that. Yes, in, in that. some okay, of the okay. reps, you yeah, know. Yeah, so. Okay. So, so, so what you're telling me really is there's loads of different reasons why. There's no one reason. Yeah, and we didn't even cover a lot in there. So, you know, yeah. like... You well, know, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't know if we cover the physical and the psychological, yes, but, yeah. you know, the, the, the psychological is, is per, you know, there, there is disparate. There, you know, it can be uh, that people are suffering from depression and they're not 
you know, they don't feel they've been treated adequately or they haven't got that response. Similarly, it can be an anxiety disorder. Um, you know, so, so, so really it is across the board. Okay. Um, uh, uh, what, because we've had a number of people on over the last 12 months speaking about uh, trauma and the relationship between trauma and addiction. And, and one statistic that's been bandied about is <clears> that up to like, you know, between 50 and 70 percent of people who are addicted to substances have suffered a, a childhood trauma? Um, I, I think the figure of 50 to 80% of individuals will have a comorbid mental disorder. Okay, so that right. couldn't be... And remember that has to be... Just explain that to us. So, so people presenting with an addiction will have, um, you know, a mood problem, an anxiety problem, um, less so psychosis, um, which is losing touch with reality, um, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so, there's, so there's many different um, presentations that one can have with addiction. So addiction, uh, when somebody has an alcohol, a drug or a gambling problem, they don't just present with that. More often than not, there's something else going on. So there's a dual diagnosis. Correct. So yeah. that's another word for, yeah, yeah, or yeah, polydiagnosis. Poly so they can have several okay, yes, diagnoses yes, yes. with addiction. Yeah. The issue of trauma, um, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, it's very difficult to pin down actual figures for trauma um, because how do you define the trauma? You know, what exactly, where's the dividing line? So between, uh, you know, obviously just some traumas are very, very obvious, okay? Um, Sexual abuse. Physical example. or emotional yeah. abuse also. So, you know, that's very obvious. But, you know, there, there, there can be so many... Uh, For example, there could be emotional neglect, which isn't as obvious. You know, so it might appear to the outside world that this family is fine, but there might yeah. be no love in the family. Exactly. So it's a little bit uh, more, more nuanced. Yeah, yeah and, and, and nuanced. Cor- correct. So, so there is no question that, you know, trauma plays a significant role in addiction clinically. And it's something that we deal with all the time. But to say that some commentators say that it's deterministic, that it leads in the vast majority or in all cases, and I'm not naming anybody in particular here, but uh, there are some international commentators. Is that, it Gabor Mata you're referring to? Oh, it could to. be. Yeah, well, he's be. been mentioned a lot on this programme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and, and so look, you wouldn't I, agree with him? Well, I, look, I would agree with... I would agree. I, th- I think Gabor Mata is fantastic for the work that he does. I commend anybody who works in, you know, who, who's passionate in the area of, of addiction and psychiatry and dedicates their time to do that. Fair play to him and fair play to the work. Uh, do I agree that, that trauma is, is inevitably uh, present in all addiction cases? Absolutely not. Um, I don't, I don't the, think anybody's saying it's... I, 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 like, we mentioned 70%, so that would mean that 30%... Okay, well, let's, let's a, say the predominance. Yes, I'm not yes, sure yeah. I would agree either because it's characterising addiction as a trauma-based phenomenon. And it's in my view, it's not. If you look at the heritability coefficients, which is the genetic predisposition of, uh, you know, to addiction and how much genes contribute to the overall, uh, what we call phenotypic expression. So the actual, the end I understand expression. what you're saying, but I don't think our listeners may. Well, <laughs> I, I did psychology, so I... <laughs> okay, so, 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 so if you look basically at, at, at the amount the genes play and the overall picture of addiction, 
it's probably 50%. And genes code for all sorts of stuff. So they code for your ability to recover from a hangover, for instance. So how many people say to me when they drink alcohol and I ask them, and I ask it deliberately because I know the answer, how do you feel after a very heavy session? I say, absolutely fine. I said, how do you mean? Do you not get a hangover? And they say, no, I don't. And I say, ah, because we see that um, very regularly. Uh, and that is encoded in our genes. That the, our our response to the drug is coded. The euphoriant effects of the drug is coded, but also the way we respond in hangover. So if you if you don't get a hangover, Ray, that is going to lead you to well, you're, you're go down to, the road to drink of drinking enough. without yes, consequence. Yes, yes, and yeah. how many times do we see that? I don't see any trauma in that, and I see that a hell of a lot. So you know, and that's no, just one. I'm wondering. Ex- I'm wondering. Do you? Do you try and establish if there's trauma with, all the with all time. your patients? Yes, all yes. the time. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. in a section of the history called the personal history, yes. and you go through that in detail. Okay. Now, it's not always initially divulged, but as you get, as you get to work and know people better, then then yes. Okay, so let's go across the addictions. Then we've that's we've sort of dealt with uh, oxycontin. That's a an opioid as opposed to an opiate. Um, is there such thing as a an addictive personality? So do people replace one addiction with another one? Um, well, look, I mean, it, again, uh, some commentators would be very much in favour of that. I would say there's a there's a set of uh, personality characteristics. One is sensation seeking. So, you know, it's not as I, I, I believe it's not as simple as saying there's an addictive person. Okay. You got to break it down. So what do you break it down into? One is sensation seeking. That's a psychological term relaying, uh, relating to... Uh, one's uh, predisposition or preponderance to, say, jumping out of an airplane. So risk taker. Exactly, exactly. The other one is impulsivity. Right. Okay, so if you put together sensation-seeking impulsivity, risk-taking, and you get a a basket of personality factors... Then you have a genetic predisposition and and add to that a trauma, you're sort of, the odds are, are stacked against you. Correct. And the question is how many people... So if you have one and a half million people going to, uh, you know, raves over the weekend in in the UK, taking ecstasy, what proportion of those go on to develop a stimulant use disorder? And generally, you're talking about 10%. So 90% of people will generally walk away unscathed, but 10% from the point of view of a repetitive compulsive use of the drug in the face of adverse consequences won't. And that's on a mild, moderate and severe spectrum then as well. So, so when you say adverse consequences, that'd be losing your job, losing your relationship, uh, running out of money, all those things. Yes. That, that, that some people can see that in the future and act accordingly, as in stop. Yes. And others can't. Yes. Right. Um, so gambling then, ga- gambling as an addiction, because it's different, isn't it? It's very, it? very similar. It's extremely similar, but it's very different as well. That makes that, that yes. makes absolutely no it, sense. It's similar it? in, in what it does to the human brain. Is that it? Yes, I mean the the reason up to two, up to two thousand and thirteen. The reason up to two thousand and thirteen, gambling was in a different category to drug and alcohol addiction. It was not considered on the same level uh, from two thousand and thirteen onwards because of ten years of studies prior to that. Um, demonstrating that it was exactly the same. Same areas we've just talked about, genetics. So genetic candidates were the same. And then functional um, MRI studies. So if you put people into brain scans 
and you uh, look at the function of their brain, the areas that are not performing in the people who have a gambling disorder are the same areas that you get in drug and alcohol addiction. And they're the dopamine-rich areas that are associated with risk processing and impulsivity, which ties in with those personality factors we were just talking about as well. Okay. So, so you believe then, I, I'm gathering, that, that like for some people... They're, they're sort of genetically and, and, you know, from a young age, they're, unless they, they're, they're lucky, they're going to become addicted. Well, it's not. Look, I, I spent seven years, this is my PhD, was in genetics, you yeah. know, so. But like 80%, um, of, 80% of the population drink, for example. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, uh, seven years of my PhD in genetics and was I, you know, substantially wiser after the end of it? Uh, you know, sometimes you <laughs> have you? to sit down and, <laughs> and ponder that one. But look, I mean, the, 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 the genetics of addiction are complex. There's probably three or four hundred genes involved of very small effect. And that's why it's called complex. Yes. Right. So it's it's it's, you know, it's, it's, it's complex from because the amount of genes involved and the genes are not deterministic. So in certain single gene deletions, you get you get. Uh, phenotypic expression or you get the disorder right. in addiction you it's not like that it just increases say if you have variants in the dopamine system that will increase the propensity of you to develop addiction but you probably need many other things going with it okay so, so when somebody comes into you uh, with an addiction um uh, what are you what are you seeing what are you thinking are, are you thinking this is a person who uh, because of their genetic makeup was predisposed to becoming an addict. Uh, and uh, so I treat it then as what? A, a sort of a chemical disorder? What, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, Well, there's the nuts and bolts of, of, of addiction treatment. So if somebody comes into you, the first question you've got to ask is, what is step one? What do you have to do? In a lot of cases, it's detox. So if somebody is intoxicated and they're going to run into the negative consequences of taking the drug from a physical point of view, so they're going to go into acute withdrawal. And you saw that in, in Dope Sick, that people... That was at the very start. People started to get sick. And, you know, in the case of opioids, that's, you know, uh, you know, runny nose, sweating, intense dysphoria, nausea, cramping stomach. And these are the classic features of opioid withdrawal. But if somebody comes into me, you've got to A, work out what, you know, what is the addiction and B, what's the immediate issue? So in alcohol, alcohol withdrawal is a dangerous um, phenomenon, you get either delirium tremens or you can have seizures and there's a mortality of up to 20% if you don't treat that. So that's why, you know, alcohol is such a massive burden on our health service at the moment. Accident emergencies are, you know, have many, many presentations for people who need detox. So we provide detox, which is giving people GABAergic agents or gamma immunobutyric acid agents. You know, the most common, again, are mm. blockbuster drugs of the 1960s, Valium, Xanax and Librium. But, you know, there are very clear guide. there's very clear international guidance on what you do for people in addiction in acute settings. So that's number one. And then after that, you're thinking about rehab. So after a week or a two or two of detoxification, we then have rehab services, which is in some cases, in our case, four weeks, but other units around Ireland, it is, you know, five weeks, three months, five months. 12 months and in some cases two years and abroad. What's, what's access to treatment like? Depends on the drug. It depends on the addiction. Let's say alcohol. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think there are some fantastic statutory um, uh, facilities out there. There's some fantastic independent facilities. But the, the you know, the, the implementation of Vision for Change, which was 2006 white paper, didn't happen. And that is shame on everybody that that didn't happen because it should have happened. And there was actually funds diverted from uh, you know, mental health elsewhere. And, and that can't happen. You know, we have to... You know. From your work and you're at the coalface, what do you feel about our attitude as a nation to drink? Oh, I, you know, I, 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 we have a cultural problem with drink. There is, there is no question. It's ingrained in us. If you come... And, 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 and you know, very simply, you just compare us to the continent, you, you know, my opinion doesn't have to matter. You just simply look at the continent, look at, at how people drink abroad. Now, I, I lump the UK in with us because I think we're very similar to the UK. And I think UK towns and cities, that's, you know, we've the same cultural problem of binge drinking. But if you go to the continent, it's different. Is alcohol um, addictive? Oh, it's incredibly addictive. It's right. the most addictive drug. If you look at David Nutt at Imperial College London at the moment, he did a series of papers in The Lancet which absolutely uh, uh, proved without any doubt that it's more addictive than, sorry, the harm, the composite harm to self and others, right? So he did the papers first and they didn't believe him. So they sent him off to do it again, do it with a more accurate instrument, which was composite measure of harm to, to, to self and others. And if you look at the graph at Strike, and I, every talk I give on harm of alcohol versus other drugs, I put his graph up because crack, cocaine and heroin are in there. Alcohol, with regards to harm to self and others, is the most harmful drug. And all you've got to do is look at the road traffic accidents, assault, sexual assault, physical problems, all everything that goes with alcohol. It's an incredibly dangerous drug and an incredibly harmful drug. So it's an accident of history, really, that alcohol is legal and illicit drugs like cocaine and heroin are illegal. I don't know if it is. I mean, I... I, I, I you know, well, like, but if you were in charge and, and alcohol was coming before you and you're saying, should we make this drug legal, Colin O'Gara, with your expertise, what would you say? I'd say no. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I don't think we're ready for that. I think, on the, you know, if you look at the carnage that we have with alcohol, if you throw the others in, cocaine, heroin and the rest in, I'm, I'm just not up for that, you know. But no. I am up for a health-led approach and not criminalising people who, who take drugs. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you sh- we, you know drug, drug users are incredibly stigmatised. Uh, you know, the word junkie and getting clean and that. I mean, I think we have to move away from that and we have to treat people who suffer from addictions in a compassionate way. We have to go now. Um, but do you think if people understood... And, and that's what we've been trying to do today, understood why people are addicts, that they might be more um, sensitive to their situations. Oh, without a doubt. Because there, mean, there's a lot of misinformation and myths around drug addicts. Oh, look, there's, there's terrible stigma. And I think if we're going to, you know, make serious strides in the treatment of, of, of addictions and provide, you know, good recovery and take crime out and acquisitive crime and all the studies support this. If you put money, the NTOR study in the UK, for every three pound, British pounds spend, for, sorry, for every one British pound spend, you get three back. And, and that's if you, if you properly treat addictions. So no doubt about it. And the best place to start is with stigma, I think. 
Colin O'Gara, consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St. John of God Hospital in Dublin and clinical professor of psychiatry at UCD. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank Thanks, you. Ray. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Tweet at Radio Ray RTE. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Uh, now, if you're affected by any of the things we spoke about with uh, Professor Colin O'Gara, the HSE Drugs and Alcohol Helpline, uh, free phone 1800 458 459. That's uh, 1800 458 459. Or you can email helpline at hse.ie. Anish Toshin, now in the Preepskelton and Oakdale, Maura de Wallish. Grandma, good Maura. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Mike has been on. He says, I was living in the States in the early 2000s, had back surgery after extreme sciatica. Uh, I was given a combination of the codeine and codeine, got addicted very early on, and was so lucky to be able to stop taking them. I was prescribed three per day. I was taken three at a time, says that person. And in regards to the topic of addiction to uh, Oxynorm, Palexia, Codeine, I've been suffering from excruciating, unrelenting pain for years. I'm awaiting a spinal pain implant. Uh, this was cancelled due to Delta. Sorry, Delta. Oh, in November, yeah. Um, COVID, Delta, yeah. Uh, in November and again in January due to Omicron. Uh, I cannot function physically, emotionally or cognitively. The impact on my immediate family has now reached the stage they'd like me uh, to be going into a care facility. You poor thing. I'd now be happy enough to be addicted to Oxynorm and in less pain than in my current state. I was a high-functioning individual prior to the accident that has left me in this position. I know I'm now clinically depressed. My pain team are the best, but I'm left without any prospect of surgery for the pain modulation. So I iterate, I'd prefer addiction rather than horrendous 24-7, 365 days for four years. Uh, that's from that person. Please don't read out my name. And uh, Professor O'Gara, his holistic uh, approach, naming addiction as 50 to 80% primarily mental disorder, so brave to acknowledge this, uh, St. John of God saved my life in its holistic approach, bringing things back to basics, says that person. And uh, uh, that man is talking a lot of sense, says somebody else. Um, and this one on Battenbergs. Today is the fourth anniversary of the sad passing of my late mother, Mary McStay, from Friarstown in Kildare. Uh, she was 99 years young when she passed and she was a great lover of Battenberg cake. So with the day that's in it, I felt I should get in touch. We miss our mum terribly, but especially recently when my sister Margaret celebrated a big roundy birthday, the birthday cake was ordered and we asked for an afternoon tea theme, but left the finer details in the hands of the baker. To our great surprise, when the cake was picked up, a mini Battenberg took pride of place on the top of the cake. We honestly felt our mum was making her presence felt and it brought a smile to our faces and made us feel she was sharing in the day with us. All the best, Maria. And she sent in the picture and there it is, the mini the mini Battenberg on top of the cake. That's that's great. That's a lovely story. Um, Ray, you didn't uh, mention the big no-no about Battenberg cakes. It's covered on all sides by marzipan. I did, Brendan. Uh, and he says, P.S. Remember the lemon meringue pie was posh. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Fusco family did the best version ever. And in Dungarvan, we called the Battenberg cake uh, chapel window cake. Aha. It was a triangular shape covered in chocolate and buttercream inside, says uh, Marion. Uh, and I heard you talking about Battenbergs earlier. I would just like to say that the correct name for them, to differentiate them from the pink and yellow ones, it's called the chocolate Battenbergs. These are the cork ones. We've made both types here in our bakery down through the years, but by far the more popular one is the chocolate one. So we stopped making the pink and yellow one with the almond paste. That's marzipan. That's Declan Bracken from Bracken's Bakery in Cork. And the reason we're talking about Battenbergs is because when Leo and Matt were celebrating their birthdays during the week, they had a Battenberg cake. Um, 
that was their birthday cake and that's that's about it then there I think we've sorted all that out um, yeah uh, 5155onray.rt.ie let's get to our quiz then yes Yeah, reel in the ears. Uh, we've uh, bits and of songs and movies and TV reports on the way. We've two contestants on the line as well, and we have a prize. And this week, thanks to our friends in the Farnham Estate in Cavan, we've a two-night stay in one of their stylish guest rooms. Um, it's a magnificent estate up there, thirteen hundred acres of mature woodlands and lakes for you to explore. Ninety minutes from Dublin. You can find out more FarnhamEstate.ie. Uh, hello, JP. Ray, how's it going? Good afternoon. Good. John Paul or James Patrick or whatever? John Paul. John Paul. Born named before the Before the Pope, Ray, the, 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 the Pope was named after me. Oh, was my mom. I was uh, born in 77. <laughs> right. My mom had a premonition before he came over <laughs> and uh, next thing I came along. Yeah, so I was sitting yeah, in a yeah. pram in the Phoenix Park uh, <laughs> yeah. watching them, yeah. Where, so. did, where are you? Oh, great. I was, yeah. yeah. Well, apparently I, I was. I don't remember. Along with 900, you know, whatever. You're one yeah. short of a million, yeah. Uh, you're a truck driver. I am, yeah, Ray. I'm sitting here, believe it or not, I'm sitting here in Hollywood um, and I'm one of the, you know, I had my son in the lorry with me yesterday and I said, you can go to school now tomorrow and tell all your friends you were back and forth to Hollywood all day. <laughs> Hollywood in County Wicklow. Oh, yes. The most beautiful part of the world, Ray. It's a nice um, part. Of, yeah, I did a disco there years ago in some in some hall or something like that. Is there a hall in Hollywood? There is, I think there is, a local uh, hall. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a tip up here. I drive a tipper truck, so we be uh, site clearance on the site there in City West today. Right. And we dump and dump in the muck up here in, in Hollywood. And, and are um, you, where do you live? I live in Tala, right? In Tala, right. Yeah. And you time yourself. I'm reading here that if you're not uh, past Wicklow by the time the well, quiz is on, you're late home. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> if, I haven't, if, I, if I don't have my last load tip by the time the show comes <laughs> on, I might be a few minutes late. Yeah, that's, right, that's okay. Uh, and Brenda's at home. And you're, you're, you're my guide. I'm your guide. I'm your watch, yeah. Uh, so Brenda's at home and Lily Rose, your daughter. My daughter is literally six, yeah, and her son Paul is about 15. Brenda's uh, off today. She's a dental nurse in, in Springfield. Dental. Right. She's uh, off today, yeah. Lily Rose, is, she's in senior infants in School Carmel, and Paul is, uh, he's in fourth year, in transition year in Kingswood. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 and Brenda, a dental nurse, it's a very important job, isn't it? Because they're the ones who settle us. <laughs> yeah. Before, yes. we, before we get oh, there. Oh, she, you know, that's exactly what she is. She's a settler, right? She's, <laughs> she's, made, she's made for the job. She's, she's a settler. Yeah. You, you'd lie back. <laughs> oh, I didn't settle for her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's, it's all good. You'd That's be complimentary. Her, you'd yes. be relaxed in her company. company yes. she, you, she would, yeah. Which she, is a lovely thing to say. Lovely thing to say about anybody. Yeah. You're yeah. up against. But she has us all on there. Everybody brushed their teeth. That's no. Yes. She has us all there. Uh, like dental hygiene, regimental dental in the, hygiene. In the mornings yeah, yeah, and yeah, the evening, yeah. yeah. So we get thing. away with nothing. So <laughs> the whitest, the whitest teeth in Tala. <laughs> <laughs> you can see them from space. Rita, you're up against Rita Gilmartin in Mullingar, uh, JP. How are you doing, Rita? How are you doing, Ray? Nice say, to talk to you. Yeah, say hello to JP there. How are you, JP? Hi, Rita. Yeah. Good, good. good. Up against you. Best of luck. <laughs> and you too. Yeah, you, you, you were out walking the dog. What sort of dog have you got? Yeah, I was out walking with Millish, my uh, Cavalier King Charles. Nice. And we went out to Loch Ennell there. I had a lovely walk out there. It's a beautiful afternoon. Nice. Here in Mullingar. And do I hear a Dublin accent there? You do, yeah. I'm originally from John and Eve in ah. Dublin. Yeah. And so how, I'm how long are you in Mullingar? How long? Yeah. I've been running there since 1988. Ah, yeah. Dublin was great in 88. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, so your husband is Mick. 
Uh, and, my husband is Mick, yeah. yeah. And you're you're on dinner duty tonight. What's on the on the menu? I sure am. And he'd be delighted to hear on the radio now that I have a lovely bit of bacon and cabbage oh. farm. <laughs> as, as my <laughs> granny used to say, yeah, pig's bum, cabbage and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lovely, lovely. And do you, yeah. do, do you do a parsley sauce with that? I'm doing an onion sauce. An onion that, sauce, white, right. White, yeah, white sauce with a bit of a onion in it and he so loves that. What do you do? You, you, do you saute the onion? You fry off the onion first, is it? I fry off the onion, yeah, and then I have just the milk and the, and the flour and yeah. the butter and the bit of salt and pepper and lovely over oh, the Oh, that cabin. sounds lovely. That sounds <laughs> yeah. lovely. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, and, and is it mashed potatoes or whole potatoes? I'm going to do mashed potatoes with it, yeah. Right. And lovely cabbage yolk oh cabbage. yeah yeah cooked in the same water of course so you get that lovely that bacon flavour from it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sure is yeah, memory. I'm just thinking I could do with JP's wife there I have a dental appointment at four five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a filling and yeah. I, I I don't know what's worse talking to you now as a talk to getting me filling <laughs> I mean, I hope, anyway, look at hopefully, the, hopefully, this is this is nicer than going to the dentist. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's see how you do in the quiz, Rita. Uh, you're okay. up against JP, as I say. I so I'm going to play a clip, three clips each, and uh, if you go for a short clip, you get two points because it's more difficult. Uh, a longer one is easier; it gets you one point, and whoever has the most points at the end is the winner. Good luck to you both. Here we go. Good luck, JP. Good luck, Rita. Right, JP, uh, to you first. Uh, the year is 1982. Right, uh, which is what, 40 years ago? 40 years ago, yes. It was five. <laughs> you were five, right, okay, yeah. right. Uh, let's see how you do That's then. It, it's the movies first from 1982. So do you want to go for oh. a long one or a short one, JP? We'll start off with a long one. Start off with a long one, okay. Uh, this adaptation of a Broadway musical became a cult hit in 1982. Can you name it? And here is your long clip for one point. Just thinking about tomorrow away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none when I'm stuck with a day that's great oh, that's lovely can you name the movie uh, is it Annie it is Annie yes a point well done you're on the scoreboard uh, Rita still 1982 yeah. we're still at the movies do you want to go short or long I think I might take a chance on a short. Oh, right. right. Look at you. Yeah. Okay, right. Uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman plays an actor whose reputation for being difficult drives him to adopt a new identity to land a job. Right. And here is your short clip for two points. I'm Edward Kimberly, the reckless brother of my sister, Anthony. <laughs> Uh, Tootsie Tootsie, right. yes The new identity yeah, was a woman Who became a childminder to his children uh, Two nice. points there, well done uh, JP, you. you're on one Rita's on two Your second question's on music from 1982 You're only five uh, Do you want to go short or long? Rita's sort of put it up to you a little bit Yeah, I think. I'll go short, right? You go short, right This English star group had a hit with this single in 1982 So the name of the band or the name of the song And here's your clip for two points I'm a big boy now So they say so If you'll serve, i my way Welcome to the House of Love. Fun. Yes, House of Fun. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then you, you know the band. It doesn't matter, but you. you uh, can't take it off. No, hand. madness. But yeah, you, madness. House madness. of Fun is gets you two points. Well done. Right. Uh, Rita, music from 1982. Okay. Well, um, what can I do? I go short. You go short again. Okay. Yes. Uh, another English group went to top of the charts, but at home in America with this song. Uh, again, can you name the song or the band? Here's your short clip for two points. Oh, oh, Johnny, right. 
Eileen, it's Dexy's Midnight Runners. It is. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Two points. Yes, you're on four. Uh, JP, read is read, read good. Read is good. She's very good. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. have to go short again, right? You, you do actually. Yes, it's, we're in the news. Current <laughs> affairs from 1982, 40 years ago. Um, and here is your uh, current affairs question. There were huge crowds present when this street was handed over to pedestrians. Can you name it? And here is your short clip for two points. There's likely to be confusion in the area for the next few days until motorists get used to the new arrangements. So, is it Grafton Street, right? It, it is Grafton Street. Two points. Well Brilliant. done. Yes. Uh, it was first closed to traffic in 1972, but it had to reopen due to roadworks in adjoining streets. And this time around in 1982, the experiment was planned to last a year uh, with reverse traffic closing Kildare Street and Daw Street, but it's 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 been the same ever since. That was just a guess. It was either Grafton Street or Henry Street. Really. Yeah, well, you, you picked the right one. You picked the right one. Now, you can't do anything else, JP. You're on five. Uh, Rita, you're on four. If you go for the short one and get it right, you're today's winner. If you go for the long one, get it right, then we're into a tie-break situation. If you don't get anything right, then uh, JP is today's winner. So there you go. What, what do you want to do? I'll take a chance, will I, and I'll go short again. You're going to go short. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, in the news from 1982, uh, Charles Hoy was one of the many people who signed a book of condolences for this international royal who lost her life suddenly in 1982. Um, can you name her and here is your short clip by way of a clue for two points uh, that she loved uh, coming to Ireland loved participating in Irish life who's he talking oh, about Jamie, who's he talking about um, I know for a minute I thought uh, I thought it was the Princess Diana but it's not her is no, it no 1982 uh, International Royal an international royal. Would it be Prince, uh, the Princess of Monaco? Grace, is it Grace Kelly? It is. Uh, it is. Prince Princess yeah. Grace, yeah. it is. Yes, Brilliant. you're right. Yes, Brilliant. yes, yes. <laughs> um, JP, hard luck. Uh, no, no problem. I yeah. went out. I couldn't have come across a, a better, a better yeah, winner. So well no, done, she Rita. got six out of six. And, yeah, you know, you, you would have got Annie if you went for a short one, but there, that, that's the look of the yeah, draw, isn't absolutely. it? That's, that's it, right. I know yeah, what you were doing. You, you wanted to get a sure footing at the start. You didn't want to get one wrong, and that's that's a good strategy, but it didn't work out for you today. Uh, no. Listen, JP, we're going to send you out a couple of radars to show mugs, great, one for great. you and one for Brenda. Uh, great talking to you. Drive safely. You too. Thanks, okay. Brenda. Well Bye-bye. done. Uh, Rita. Yes, you're, you're off the Farnham Estate in County Cavan. <laughs> yourself and Mick I don't know if Millie is, is welcome but you're, you're you're going up there farnhamestate.ie to see what's in store for you great talk to you Rita well That's done see you now bye bye, bye. on RTE Radio 1 email ray at rte.ie the Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio there you are, 1 yeah mixing up Mrs Doubtfire and Tootsie um, and Robin Williams and uh, Dustin Hoffman sorry about that but anyway they got it right didn't, didn't really matter. Um, and just on that helpline, uh, the HFC Drugs and Alcohol Helpline, um, we got one of the digits wrong there. Uh, so it's 1800-459-459. Easy, easier to remember. 1800-459-459 or email helpline at hse.ie. Now, I know over the last couple of years we've had a lot of false dawns, but fingers crossed and listening to Hall Martin uh, this morning on Morning Ireland uh, and there's very positive soundings. It looks like uh, pubs and restaurants are going to be allowed to stay open until midnight as of from next week and, and we might get a chance to get back to some sort of normality, get out there. Uh, so we'll be looking for restaurants to go to. Uh, so our next guest, Nicola Halloran, also known as the Wonky Spatula, has put together a list uh, of Dublin restaurants that she's 
she's been to and rated and she's uh, sort of divided them by geography. So if you're going to the Viva Stadium, for example, to a Ruby International, you'll go, you'll, you know, you'll be able to look for restaurants in that area. Uh, and Nicola uh, calls her Instagram page Dublin Plates and she's down the corridor in a booth. Hello, Nicola. You. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming in to us. Thanks for me, Ian. Yeah. Uh, so Dublin Plates. Um, and, and did I get it right there? That's it. They're, they're, you've put them sort of in areas, have you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Dublin Plates, it's a it's an interactive kind of Google sheet that has all of the restaurants that I've been to to date. It, it'll continue to grow um, on it. And they're all rated, kind of filtered for different categories. And yet you can go from Dublin 2, 4, 6, 1, whatever tickles your fancy and, and get a, a good view of what's in store around the area a, a, a nice job but it's not even a job for you you're not getting paid to do this are you no <laughs> not at all and I think that's something that people have been mind boggled by in the last couple of days since I launched it but um, I think during the, the summer months I was kind of looking at hospitality starting to open up and I was kind of putting together a personal hit list of places that I wanted to go started yeah. sharing it with people and then I sort of thought you know the industry's been hit really really hard people are always looking for places to to go so why not put something together that's you know mutually beneficial for for all parties and hopefully like people will start to get out get inspiration yeah. to try new places and that kind of thing I remember back in the day when Jenny and I used to go out <laughs> it seems like an awful long time ago uh, before children and all that and it, oddly at the beginning of uh, 2020 we were saying we must get out more often and then of course COVID hit but anyway we, we would have had say you know four restaurants that we went to all the time so it's good to have your list so we, you know, people can expand the the, the place that they go to. You mark them out of ten, and, and and you do. There's an important thing here. You mark them for their purpose. So, for example, you know, a, you know, a chicken and chips type place could get a ten out of ten, and then a fine dining Michelin star thing could get a ten out of ten. But you're not comparing like with like. Yeah, absolutely, and that's really, I suppose, important to look at when you're kind of looking at the list. That it's it's a a rating out of their kind of category because otherwise it'd be grossly unfair fair you know you could have the most amazing chicken wings somewhere but because it wasn't served to you on a silver platter you know it wouldn't get a high rating so yeah it's it, it's filtered down in that way okay. um for for the different categories and then also kind of you know the experience the food the atmosphere all that good stuff you're going to be a marked woman now nicola halloran <laughs> you know you are because people will be able to look you up on instagram see you who you are and then be looking out for you in their restaurants i'll have to start wearing a couple of different guises when i go out <laughs> yeah what what do you like yourself in a restaurant? What are your personal tastes? For me, I think noise levels are um, a really important one. So, you know, busy enough and loud enough that no one can hear what you're talking about, but not too loud that you can't hear the person <laughs> you're with. So, right. yeah, it, it's a fine line. You could say I'm a little picky. Um, and <laughs> so it's not about the food at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, I do. I look at the whole thing holistically right, okay. as well. But also <laughs> a, a good bit of variety on menus and menus that change on a regular basis because I am somebody who likes to go back to places time and time again, but I like to try different things at the same time. So, mm. you know, it's great if places kind of kind of clock the basics all the time but at the same time you're going out and you may only go out once a month so you want something a little bit different every time and then I think as well care and attention going into the food and especially kind of celebrating good Irish produce is is really high on my list. Okay you mentioned chicken wings earlier on Um, dare I ask you who does the best chicken wings in Dublin? 
my personal favourite is Canal Bank Cafe. So, right. yeah, that would be my go-to for sure. Right. They got a, did they get a 10 out of 10? I think they did. I was on your yeah your page. Yes. <laughs> they did get a 10 out of 10 for, for all the reasons of excellent food, excellent service, really lovely atmosphere. And not too loud. Exactly. <laughs> There's your tagline. Nicola Halloran eats with her ears. <laughs> <laughs> there is that expression you eat with your eyes but you eat with your ears yeah. Uh, evidently yeah uh, there's a, there's an, an, like a loads of restaurants that I've never heard of before because as I said I haven't been out in a long time but Mr Fox where where is that and what is it um, Mr Fox is just down from the, the Rotunda um, in town it's an amazing amazing restaurant I hadn't been um, until recently and they focus on kind of like fine dining but it's almost sort of more casual it's not stuffy it's really really welcoming um, and they change the menu monthly so you could go time and time again get great food but slightly different experiences and I think for me the best part about it is it's fine dining at a reasonable price because I think sometimes you know you can go into the hundreds and like obviously everything is priced for for certain reasons but I think this is a really accessible one Um, and I was absolutely stunned by how stuffed we were leaving because sometimes tasting menus can be a a little bit light on the portion size Yeah, Uh, I I think there's a pent up appetite um, uh, and I I mean that metaphorically and literally uh, for people to go back to restaurants isn't there? Because I, I think there's been, although they did open up a bit, there's been a reluctance on people's part because the like COVID is still out there. But uh, but I think that that when eventually we, we we feel safe to go back into restaurants, there's going to be this this mad rush, isn't there, <laughs> to get out there and have have somebody else cook your meal for you? Absolutely. I think everybody is sick and tired of thinking what to cook for dinner, doing the washing up, all that kind of thing, right down to having to go to the the supermarket. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's time to kind of get out there, try new things. And, And with that as well, you know, kind of, picked places that you would maybe never have thought of going to before or return to a local restaurant who, you know, you would have frequented and and really need support right now. Any plans to make it nationwide? I'm starting baby steps um, with with Dublin first just because it was sort of places that I've been to and that were near me. I'd love to expand it further and maybe even do different kind of city guides in other countries and stuff maybe further down the line. I don't want to undertake too much right now though. I think yeah. focus focus on, on, on the, the list at hand for the moment and as I begin to travel around Ireland more as well I'll definitely kind of add to it whether it's on the list itself or through my Instagram. Because you, you have a full-time job. It, it, we're talking to uh, Nicola Halloran it's Dublin Plates and then go to Dublin Plates on Instagram is that where they'll get the list? Yeah Nicola. absolutely there's a link there in, in the bio How are you going to keep yourself clean as in you know because people will want to influence you if, if, if you get more people referring to your page people are going to be firstly want to be on your page and secondly they want, they'll want a good review Uh I kind of now maybe regretting putting photos of myself on the page, um, but I suppose I'm I'm no stranger to the media as it is because um, I have a, a cookbook and a, a food blog already, so I manage to largely go unknown or unrecognised. So I'm hoping that continues, but I might need a few more pairs of sunglasses. Okay, <laughs> uh, so it's Dublin plates, uh, Nicola Halloran. I'm sure we'll talk again, and, and I'm sure there's an appetite for what you're doing countrywide. So you might get to that in in the coming months and years. Uh, thanks Nicola thanks to me thank you so much um, da, 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 da. we've covered everything today yes uh, that's it from us uh, Sarah is on the way with Drive Time we are back tomorrow uh, at 3 o'clock enjoy the rest of your Thursday evening
It's the Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.